Welcome to the King's Cast, dynamic teaching recorded live at King's Church in Cambridge, England. We hope you are blessed and challenged by listening to the ministry today. And now, here's the broadcast. Wow. Now you will notice that I have the same accent as Pastor Phil. And uh, praise the Lord, I, I don't try and talk properly like he does. I, I keep my Yorkshire accent. So um, I'm sure having listened to Pastor Phil for so many years, you'll, uh, you'll be able to understand where I'm, where I'm talking and what I'm talking about. Because I come from up north. Okay. Just slightly north of the Arctic Circle there where there's polar bears and Eskimos. If you've never been that far north up into Yorkshire. So uh, I'm, I'm so privileged to be here. I have visited once before. Uh, your previous pastor, Peter Cavanna, when he moved up north, he came to my church for the first year he was up there. So I'm good friends with your former pastor. I'm good friends with Philip and his family. In fact, I think we're technically related, you know, because my daughter-in-law's mother is second cousins to your dad. There you go. Blood relatives already. So I'm so pleased to be here. Uh, I hear about this church all the time, not just through Phil, but through uh, Peter Cavanna and lots of people. So you are very blessed to belong to, to belong to a good church. A lot of churches around, but there's not that many good churches around. And uh, I've been commissioned by the Lord in my ministry to preach to the church, to teach to the church. Because what amazes me is a lot of people seem to know who the Lord Jesus is. Uh, which is very good, obviously, that's, that's uh, preeminent. But a lot of people don't really understand what the church is. In fact, the more people you ask, the more different ideas you have of what they think the church is. But God is actually very clear what the church is. God is extremely clear what the church is. Uh, the Bible talks about the church all the time, and it's always very clear about how God views you and what his purpose is for your life. So can you turn with me, please, to the book of Ephesians, the book of Ephesians, chapter 5, and I'll start reading at verse 25. Okay, the book of Ephesians, verse 25 of chapter 5. Husbands, love your wives just as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her to make her holy, cleansing her by the washing with water through the word, and to present her to himself as a radiant church, without stain or wrinkle or any other blemish, but holy and blameless. In the same way, husbands ought to love their wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself. After all, no one ever hated his own body, but he feeds and cares for it, just as Christ does the church. For we are members of his body, and for this reason a man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife, and the two will become one flesh. This is a profound mystery, but I am talking about Christ and his church. God endeavors to make it clearly plain to us that the church 
is the bride of Jesus Christ. Did you know that? Did you, did you follow what we just read there? The church is called her all the way through. And as Paul the Apostle is giving understanding about husbands and wives, he actually uses that as an illustration for the greater truth that it's actually about Christ and his church. He says this is the profound mystery. The profound mystery, according to the Apostle Paul, he says earlier that it was the mystery hidden from the creation of the world. It was the mystery not revealed in times past, but now has been made known to us that the church is the bride, the wife of Jesus Christ. Did you know that? Do you believe that? Really? You see, I find a lot of people that will say they believe it theologically because the Bible says it so, so we know it's true. But I find the way that they act reveals that they don't actually believe it. Because the way they treat the church proves that they don't see the church as a bride. Because you have to treat a bride a very specific way. Because if you mistreat a bride, you're in trouble. Because the church is not your bride. The church is his bride. Do you understand? Do we really understand this? Do we understand that the Bible, from beginning to, an e- to, to the end, is a story about a bride? Did you know that? The Bible starts with the creation of a bride. God created Adam, and he's called Adam the son of God. He's created as the perfect man. But then God says it's not good for man to be alone. And so what does he do? He creates a bride for Adam. Hold on a minute. God created all the animals, male and female. And then when he created man, he created man singular. Had God forgot how to make ladies? He made male dogs, lady dogs. Male giraffes, lady giraffes. Male zebras, lady zebras. I don't know what a lady zebra is called. A zebress, I suppose. And And then he creates man... Without a woman. Why does he do that? Because the purpose of the creation in the beginning of Genesis, chapter 1 to 5, God is actually showing us the purpose of creation. The purpose of creation was to create a bride. You see, God's already got a perfect man. He's called Jesus Christ. But God needs a perfect woman to give to his son, Jesus Christ, as the greatest gift the Father could ever give. And so the whole of creation was God the Father's plan to create the greatest gift he could give to his son, Jesus Christ. And the greatest gift a man is ever given is his bride. So that's how the story of the Bible begins. Do you know how the story ends? We actually read it in Scripture right at the beginning of the service. The Bible ends with the revelation of the bride. Not Jesus... Jesus is revealed all the way through the Bible. Everything that's written is a revelation of Christ. But the last person to speak at the end of time with Jesus is his bride. So the Bible starts with the creation of the bride. The Bible ends with the revelation of the bride. In between Genesis and Revelation, you have a continual set of 66 books. Each one of the books brings a new revelation of the bride. Did you know that? Did you know every book of the Bible is about a bride? Did you know that? A lot of people don't even know that. They think it's about all kinds of things. 
No, no, the, the, the preeminent mystery, as we've already just read there, that Paul says, the preeminent mystery of the whole Bible is the unrevealing, the unveiling of the bride. Even the word revelation, the word revelation comes from a Greek word, apocalypto, apocalypto. The word apocalypto literally means to remove the veil. It's what you do at a wedding when you reveal the bride. You lift up her veil and you finally see what God was planning to bring all along. God's plan for you this morning is for you to understand that you are the greatest gift he could ever imagine to be given as a gift to Jesus Christ if you're part of his bride. The problem we have is too many people don't even know this. Or they know it as a theological fact, but they don't grasp it as an outworking practical reality. Uh, Men, put your hands up if you're married. Okay, put your hands down. Agree with me here. You understand women very differently when you married than before you were married. Yeah? I mean, don't get me wrong. You still don't understand them, but you understand them differently. No one ever understands. You don't never understand the mystery of the woman. Even the Bible says that. Even Solomon, in all his wisdom, says, I can't fathom out women. That, you know, he's the wisest man who's ever lived, but women, whew, no idea how that works. So, you're okay. But you, but you know that when she's your bride, she's different to everybody else. Well, I hope you know that. Right? She's not another person. She's not another woman. She's not, she's not your friend. No, she's your bride. You are one in body. You are united together. You are equal in unity. You are designed to never be separated. What God joins together, let man not separate. Did you notice that when the Pharisees came to Jesus in the Gospels and they tried to ask him about divorce, he wouldn't entertain the question? Have you noticed that? Do you know why? Because in the mind of Jesus, he's never going to divorce his bride. So he's not going to discuss it. Now, in our fallen world, it happens. But in the relationship between the church and Jesus Christ, nothing will separate you from the love of Christ. He will never divorce you. Now, you might leave him. You might run off with someone else or some other thing or some other idol or some other carnal thing. But Jesus has committed his life to you as his bride. There is no greater love than that. There is no greater unity than that. There is no greater fellowship than that. And fruitfulness only comes from that. So God created this thing called the bride, the church. Now you will find that the greatest prophets in the Bible always, say always, always referred to the church as the bride. Yeah, they did. You might miss it, but even in the Old Testament, Isaiah, Jeremiah, Ezekiel, all called God's people his bride. When John the Baptist was told that Jesus was here, he gave that statement, the bride belongs to the bridegroom, he must become greater, I must become less. 
Now, we read that statement, but isn't that a strange statement? What's he talking about? You see, John the Baptist recognized that his ministry was to prepare the bride through water baptism so that she would be clean, ready for when Jesus came. We've just read there in Ephesians chapter 5 that husbands, wash your wives with the washing of the water of the word to make her clean and pure and holy. When God is speaking his word to you, he is washing you, he is cleansing you so that you are ready for him to come. If you don't receive the word, you're not ready to receive Jesus. In fact, unless you receive God's word, you can't receive Jesus, not according to the Bible. That's why in the upper room when Jesus talked to the apostles and Peter said, give me a bath, don't just wash my feet. Jesus actually said to him, you're already clean because you have my word in you. When you receive the word of God, it makes you clean. And Jesus is only marrying a clean bride. Now, I've done lots of weddings in the last year in my church. We actually had seven uh, in the last year, seven weddings. One of them was my own son. One of the weddings was my brother as well. That was in a hotel. Um, Now, I've seen lots of brides. I actually did one at your dad's church. Let me tell you something about every bride I've ever married. Not married, you know. (laughs) I just pulled that one back there. They were all clean. Yeah? Have you ever been to a wedding and said, God, she looks dirty? I mean, even in Yorkshire, we don't, we don't marry mucky women, do we? Not marrying a mucky lass. No, you see, the bride in Bible is always... In fact, I've never seen a bride that wasn't beautiful. Every, she might have been ugly before the day of the wedding, but every woman I ever, when she walks down that aisle, it's true, I don't know what they do. It must be that dress. You know, I was like, what's happened to her? She looks gorgeous. She doesn't normally. You see, you've got to understand that, you see, I hear people say Jesus can't be coming back yet because he's coming for a beautiful bride and the church is in the right mess, so he can't be coming back yet. Perhaps you've said that stupid statement yourself. No, you misunderstand. Through his eyes, his bride is always beautiful. Don't you confuse how you judge somebody else's wife to how he judges her. In fact, let me give you a word of advice. Don't ever judge anybody else's wife. For two reasons. One, it's irrelevant, she's not yours. And two, it'll get you into trouble. Now, I've brought my bride with me this morning. I love love her to come with me. Um, Keeps me in order. Because I'm continually reminded that I have to talk to God's church as I talk to my bride. Because God is going to hold me to account as to how I have taught his wife. Now, if you really believe that, really believe that, that will change the way you talk about the church. It really will. If you really believe that the church is the bride of Christ, you will be very, very careful about criticizing her. 
Because you can come up to me and tell me lots of nice things about my wife, but you dare criticize her, and I'm not going to be pleased. Because you don't have a right to criticize her. She's not yours. She's mine. And a lot of people, you see, they don't really believe that. Despite the Bible talking about it over and over again, they will quite happily pull down the church. They'll tear her dress. They'll say she's ugly. They'll say she's dirty. They'll say she's this. They'll say she's that. You are criticizing the bride of Christ. You know, there's a, there's a story in the Old Testament about when Aaron and Miriam criticized the bride of Moses. They didn't particularly criticize Moses. They criticized his wife. Actually, it may have even been a racial issue because his wife was a Cushite, which meant she was an African. There may have been a criticism based on ethnic and racial grounds, but that's inferred there in the Bible. We don't know why they criticized her. But they had a detrimental view of the bride of the man of God. And God's response, you can read this there in the Old Testament, was to take Miriam, who had criticized the bride of Moses, put her outside the camp and strike her with leprosy. Be very, very careful when you start to criticize God's church. If there's a problem with God's church, you ask him and he will sort it out. If there's ever a problem between me and my bride... We sort it out. I don't get someone else to sort her out. It's between us. Now, if you really believe that the church is the bride of Jesus Christ, as the Bible says it is, then you will understand that. If you don't, you'll criticize the church all the time. You might even slap her around. You see, one day we're going to stand before the bridegroom, and he's going to ask for an account of how you've treated his bride. Can you imagine standing before the man whose eyes blaze like fire when you've hurt his wife? When you've criticized his wife? If you've harmed his bride? What do you think he's going to do? You see, if we really understand this principle, it will affect our entire life on earth. We will value the church above all of the things on earth because Jesus certainly does. That's why he sent his Holy Spirit to earth. Now, Have you ever noticed that the Holy Spirit, being God, is omnipresent, so he's everywhere? But he only lives in the church. He's everywhere. He's in heaven, he's on earth, he's all through the universe. That's his omnipresence as God. That's one of his faculties of deity. But he only lives in his bride. Because only a man is united, without being crude, in one with his bride. The Holy Spirit lives in you. That is the seal and the proof that you are his bride, the church, corporately. Now, everyone in the Bible, the leaders understood this. John the Apostle understood it. That's why when he writes the book of Revelation, his primary focus is to get everyone to see the bride. In fact, at the end of Revelation, when he's seen all the glorious things, the the streets paved with gold, and he sees the new Jerusalem, and he sees all the angels, one of the angels actually comes up to the Apostle John, there in chapter 19 afterwards, says he sees the people of God coming down from heaven as a bride, dressed for her husband, and then the angel says, come, I will show you the bride, not Jesus. He's already seen Jesus. 
He's already seen him shining in all his glory. He's already had the revelation of Jesus Christ. But the angel says, come, I'll show you the bride. Because even the apostle John needed a greater revelation of who the church is. And the people of God today know a greater revelation who the church is. Because too many people don't even get this. That's why the church is in such a mess. That's why the church is treated the way she is. That's why people are getting divorced at the level they they are today. Because it's the same spiritually as physically in society. So you'll find that this principle is happening all the time. Jesus came to die for his bride. Jesus came to shed his blood to purchase his bride. That's why he came. He came to get a bride. His father had promised it. The Holy Spirit is going to make it happen. But Jesus had to come and purchase a bride. And that's why the bride in Genesis was created totally different to every one of the female animals. Everything was made out of the dust. But the bride wasn't made out of the dust. Did you notice that? The bride is the only thing in creation that wasn't made out of dust. How was the bride made? You can read it there in Genesis 2 and 3. When Adam had been created, God said, I need to make a suitable helper for her. Now, how had Adam been created? Adam Adam had been created through the dust, but then the Spirit of God entered Adam, the breath of God, the Ruach, spirit and breath are the same word in Hebrew. Entered Adam, so actually God was in Adam. And he became a living being. Because the Spirit of God was now in Adam. So the Holy Spirit lived in Adam. And only then, not when he was dust, but only when the Spirit of God was in him, did God make the bride. What did he do? He cancelled out Adam's life. He ripped open his side. He reached inside. He took out the DNA of Adam, which the DNA was now God, as well as dust. He took out that rib and he formed a bride, the woman. Then what did he do? He brought Adam back to life. And then he took the woman, and if you read it, he didn't walk away and they off you go, you two sort it out. That ain't what he did. It says he then took the woman and he brought the woman to Adam. And Adam said, you are now bone of my bone, flesh of my flesh. And the two became one. That's who the bride is. She's created out of the very life of God. So when Jesus came, Jesus came as the last Adam, the Bible tells us. He is the final man, the final man, the only man that God would accept. So when Jesus came, he had to go through the same procedure to get his bride that Adam went through in Genesis. So Jesus had to die. Jesus' side had to be ripped open. Jesus' life had to be cancelled out. And then as Christ died on the cross, God placed us in him. You will find that said all through the Bible. In Christ, we were in him from the foundation of the world. We were created in him. So as he died on the cross, his bride was created. Because he died, you live. And then now he rose again as Adam was brought back to life. The Holy Spirit is now bringing you to him as the bride. 
so that you will be one by the Spirit with Him. That's God's purpose. That's always been His purpose for you. That's why when they said to Jesus about divorce, He says they are no longer two, but they are one. Some people don't get that. You're only one with God if you're part of His church. If you're not part of his church, you're not going to be one with God. Because he hasn't got lots of women. He's only got one. A bride at all. At the end of time, this actually persecutes the people of God. The prostitute is always a picture of a woman who claims to be God's but isn't. Because if you think about it, what's the difference between a bride and a prostitute? The activities are the same. Yeah? The intimacy between a man and his bride and a man and a prostitute, the actual physical acts are the same. Except with a bride, a man loves his bride out of an intimate covenant relationship and a man uses a a prostitute purely out of a business transaction. Do you know there are denominations and church systems that are treating the bride like a business. They are using her as a business transaction to get their satisfaction. And they want them to play their part because that's what they're paid to do. You don't pay a bride. You pay a prostitute. And that's why the church is being treated like a prostitute by men today. They think the church is theirs to use as they want. They're going to face him one day. And if you've treated his bride like a prostitute, my God, you will wish you had never been born. Anyway, I wasn't going to mention that. If you want more about the prostitute, it's a chapter in my book. Okay, so Jesus came to die for his bride. That was the plan. That was the plan of God all along. God was always going to come and die for his bride. Because he knew that what the purchase price was. You see, because of our sin, we were so impure, only something totally pure could purchase. Purchase the bride. Now, in our culture, we, we tend not to purchase brides. But in many cultures in the world, world, they still follow the biblical principle. A bride has to be purchased. You can't just go and choose one. You can't just go and say, I'll marry you. No, you have to pay the price of the cost that that woman is worth. Now, this woman, the mankind, us, the people on this earth, our sins were so great that the cost to nullify the sin of our sins, what cost could pay that? Only the precious blood of Jesus Christ could pay the price of our sin. Does he love us that much? Does anybody love a woman that much to pay with their own life to marry them? Well, Jesus did. He loved us so much that he died for us. He loved us so much that he was prepared to pay the penalty of sin to purchase us, despite that cost. And we have no idea what it cost. It wasn't just death. It was a life of continual death and sacrifice. Jesus didn't just die on the cross. He died every day. Every day he had to put up with the cost of sin affecting his life. And so as he, as he hung on that cross, he was paying the price of sin. One of the things we don't realize because of a translation issue, 
We know that the last words he uttered on the cross was, it is finished. Which literally means in Greek, it is paid in full. It's the Greek word tetelostai. It means to be paid in full, to, to pay the final fee, to, to totally purchase. That's what the word means in Greek. But we know that Jesus wasn't speaking Greek. He was speaking Aramaic. We know that because the Gospels tell us. That's why he said, Eloi, Eloi, lama sabachthani, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Actually records that he was speaking Aramaic Hebrew. Now, the Greek word tetelostai, which means it is finished, there's an, the word in Aramaic is the word kalah. It means it is perfected, it is finished, it is complete. But in Hebrew and Aramaic, the word kalah is also another word. Do you know what word it is? My bride. That's literally what the word means. So when Jesus hung on the cross, his last words were my bride. I've got her. She's mine. I've paid for her. She's mine now. And when I come back to life, I'm going to get her. And I'm going to bring her to myself. And so we are now in the process of being taken to Jesus. The Holy Spirit's role is to take you to Jesus. Did you know that? No, his role is to give me the gift of tongues. No, it isn't. Okay, of course he gives you gifts, right? Has anyone got a bride and you never gave her a gift? Good, because you're in huge trouble. <laughs> right, the first thing you do when you marry a woman is you give her a gift, you give her a ring. You lavish gifts upon her. Of course the Holy Spirit gives us gifts. We're his bride. He's going to lavish gifts upon us. Do you think God's not going to give his bride everything she wants? Dear me, even I've got to give them my bride everything she wants. <laughs> I've learned that lesson. Is there any men here not realized that yet? <laughs> you, you, know, you know when God says, you know, keep praying, and then he describes a widow who keeps nagging. And he says, eventually, if you keep nagging, you will get what you want. Do you know why God knows that's true? Because he knows that's how brides work. You keep nagging, love. You'll get it. Might not make sense, might be too expensive, might be a waste of time and money, but you keep nagging, you'll get it, he'll give it you in the end. You keep praying to God, he will give you the gifts, he will give you what is needed. Because he loves you. But that's not his purpose. Of course he'll give us all the gifts of the Holy Spirit. But his purpose is to take us to Jesus. The purpose is the wedding. Yeah? Yeah? Now at the wedding, you're going to get lots of gifts on the way to the wedding. You're going to have lots of invitations. We've got to invite people to the wedding. There's lots of things to do. But don't lose sight of the focus of purpose because of the process. We are not on earth to exercise our gifts. We are on earth to get ready for the wedding. That's why Paul says all creation has been groaning in this expectation that together the Jews, the Gentiles, every tribe, every nation, every tongue is going to be invited to God's great wedding banquet, Jesus called it. In fact, most of his parables were about weddings. Did you know that? When Jesus gathered his team, what was the first thing he did with his team? Take them on a mission trip to Africa. No, he took them to a wedding. John chapter 2. The first miracle Jesus did was at a wedding. Why? Well, that's not what we do as pastors, is it? 
If like we could do a miracle, we'd like go to a cemetery and raise someone from the dead, wouldn't we? It's like, oh, I can pick any miracle you can do. Right, let's go, to the, let's go to the hospital morgue. Let's raise dead people. That would be the best miracle to do for people to put their faith in our spectacular gift. Is that what Jesus did? No, he took his guys to a wedding. And what was the miracle he did? He turned water into wine, which is a great miracle, but it's not even biblical. People shouldn't be getting drunk, should they? Like take 12 single men to a wedding and give them as much wine as they want. That's the worst miracle you could possibly do. Like that's not right. They're going to get the wrong idea about what being a Christian is. But that's what he did. And if you read John chapter 2, when he turned the water into wine, it says this was the first miracle he did. And through this, his disciples put their faith in him. Why was the first thing he did to take them to a wedding? Because that's the last thing he's going to do as well. He's taking us to a wedding because we are his bride. And if we don't understand this, well, you won't understand the Bible. Because the key to understanding every book of the Bible is the key to understanding the bride in every part of the scriptures. Because you will find that God's problem is usually with getting the woman to be what he wants her to be in the Bible. That's usually the case. Right? Abraham didn't have a problem having children. It was his wife that did. God doesn't have a problem doing miracles and bearing fruit. But it's his bride that does. We are the problem. We are the ones who have the problem bearing fruit. We are the ones who have the problem doing the miracles. We are the one God has a problem with, but he's not going to get rid of you and get another woman. He has promised to make you fruitful. He has promised to make you inherit everything he has. Because the bride owns everything the husband owns. Yeah? He doesn't share it. He gives you co Leadership over it. The bride inherits the kingdom along with the bridegroom. When you belong to Jesus Christ, this is why Paul said to the Corinthians, do you not know that now you are in Christ, all things are yours? Because the bridegroom gives everything he has to his bride. Some of you men are looking at me funny. Have you not figured that out yet? Right? It's not your sofa it's not your house, it's hers. Right? It might be your name on the mortgage, it might be your name on the title deeds, but it's, it's hers as much as it is yours. When we belong to Jesus Christ, the reason we can use the name of Jesus is because we inherit his name as his bride. That's why the woman changes her name to the name of her husband. So now she has a right to everything that the husband owns. My wife doesn't ask past permission to use my bathroom. It's actually the other way around, funnily enough. <laughs> now, in the natural, we get this. You know, in the natural, every single one of you ladies that's married, in the natural, you know that house is yours. You don't ask your husband permission if you can use the kitchen. You tell him whether he can use it. You understand the principle of authority and delegation in the natural. You've got it. You've worked it out. But when it comes to the spiritual, we don't get it. Oh, I can't use the name of Jesus. Why? Are you not his bride? I mean, my wife long ago stopped asking my permission. She just used my name. 
She even phones the bank up. And she just does it. She just uses my name. Gets access to the funds. If you're the bride of Jesus Christ, you have access to everything he has. Yeah. Phil gets it. <laughs> you see, if you don't really believe this stuff, if you think you're a slave, if you think you're a, just a housemaid, if you, think that, if you think that you're someone who God's hired to help him out, God doesn't hire you. You're not a servant. God never wanted servant women to bear children. That's why when Abraham birthed Ishmael through Hagar, God rejected it. God doesn't want slaves. He wants a bride. He could have had slaves if he wanted. He's got angels. He can create slaves. He doesn't want a slave. He wants a bride. He wants someone who's created with his very own life. You see, when you belong to Jesus Christ, you're not born of the dust. You're born of heaven. You're born of the Spirit. You're born again of the life of God. You have the DNA of deity in you. Christ dwells within you. The Holy Spirit dwells within you. When I, when I become one with my, my bride and we create children, my life enters her and her life is birthed. My life is birthed through her. She bears children through my life entering her and her birthing children. And do you know that's what being made in the image of God actually means? Father, Son, Holy Spirit, triunity. We are made in the image of God, imagio dei beings. So when a man becomes one with her husband, a child is born, and for one moment, three people exist, all united at the same time. Father, mother, child. For one moment, there's three people in one. It's a picture of what deity is. Now, it's only a picture. But Father, Son, and Holy Spirit are all united together. They always have been. But they want something more than that. They want to be united with you. He wants to bring the church into his unity. The high priestly prayer of Jesus Christ in John chapter 17, three times he said, Father, that they may be one with me, I in them and them in me and us in you. And the only way you physically are going to understand that is understanding the process of marriage itself, where the bride becomes one with the bridegroom. So this has been God's plan all along. It was his plan from Genesis. It's revealed to us in Revelation. It's every book of the Bible reveals this plan. Every book, and I mean every book. You might miss it, but actually that's the hidden mystery. And this is the mystery that Paul says he had been given the revelation of to make known this mystery, that we would be one with Jesus Christ. Amen. Thank you for listening, and we trust that the Word of God has inspired you today. For further information about King's Church, or to access our large archive of other recordings, go to www.kingscambridge.org If you're listening on iTunes, we would love you to leave us some feedback. God bless and goodbye.